podcasting from Astrolab Studios. This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Space Above and Beyond, Episodes 6 and 7. With all due respect, Madam Ambassador, there will be nothing to describe if we surrender to the enemy. You think communication is surrender? Did they try to communicate with the Vestan Telus colonies? You were on the Aerotech Board of Governors. Don't the lives of the colonists mean anything? We've seen them butcher our wounded, begging for help. The American Indians did the same thing at the time they were seen as aliens. But we know they were defending their land that was being taken. And as soon as they surrendered to the settlers, the slaughter never ended. What were they to do? They were against an enemy they knew they couldn't defeat. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that is getting chiggy with it. Na 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 na. Getting chiggy with it. Boo. Boo. <laughs> hey Jordan, how's it going? Well, I was doing okay. You didn't like that? <laughs> nah. You know, well, you know what? A for effort. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not bringing anything, so who am I to criticize? Uh, I'm your host, Luke. That, of course, is my co-host, Jordan. And this is a very special week. This is a very special week. Mm-hmm. We're joined by a special guest. Uh, Jane is here on the podcast. Hi, Jane. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Well, uh, before we get into the episode, um, since this is a TV science fiction podcast, I wanted to ask you whether like, you were a big TV sci-fi fan when you were a kid. Yeah, I mean, I was probably one of the ultimate TV sci-fi fans, which hopefully is why you're having me on the show, because I'm super excited to talk about all of the sci-fi that I used to watch. And uh, yeah, I was big into Star Trek. I was big into the X-Files. Um, I was big into like the old episodes of The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, which were all on in the 90s as well. Um, so yeah, anything sci-fi, I basically ate it up. I bought magazines. I read stuff. I watched special features. Anything involving movies, television, science fiction, yeah, I was down. I mean, you pretty much proved your cred when you showed up with two 1995 sci-fi, well, one sci-fi magazine, one TV guide, both (laughs) with articles about Space Above Beyond in them. So I have this massive quantity of magazines that I saved, which I even a couple of years ago I went through again and could not bring myself to get rid of, which include the amazing Cinescape magazine from the mid-90s, which was a big sci-fi magazine that used to come out, plus all kinds of copies of things like Entertainment Weekly and Us Weekly, anytime there was kind of a sci-fi cover, and a bunch of uh, TV guides that have all kinds of sci-fi TV stuff, Star Trek stuff, Star Trek special edition magazines. Like I, I actually was shocked at what a geek I was the other day when I was looking through, because I was like, couldn't believe I had all this stuff. Are these, are these displayed proudly? <laughs> they are they were in a box in my storage locker they are now strewn across my living room but um i think maybe i should display them we'll come back to your library on future shows and see what we can dig out of it mm-hmm. we should do a, we'll do one of those uh like uh 360 we'll go around the room you, know, you take a photo and then you can see all different angles oh. all the magazines everywhere <laughs> all of my magazines mm-hmm. and you'll put it on the instagram and just make yeah. fun of me okay. on the instagram <laughs> the only one that matters yeah um, so I guess it's safe to say that you were aware of a space uh, space above and beyond before you watched it. I was aware of it, but I actually did not watch it at the time. So I was a really big X Files fan, um, and so I knew who Glenn Morgan and James Wong were. I knew that they had written for the X Files, and I knew that they had left 
the X-Files at the end of the second season, which was basically right when the X-Files was hitting its stride and exploding. They left the show to go and do this weird space above and beyond show. And I'm not really sure why I never watched Space Above and Beyond, because it was probably mostly in my wheelhouse. I think my explanation for that was that I was watching a lot of Star Trek There were two Star Trek series on. There was Deep Space Nine was on at the time and Voyager. Deep Space Nine was just starting season four, which was when Worf showed up, which was when it was getting really good. And Voyager was in its second season because it had just premiered the January before. So that was a super busy time for me. Plus the X-Files was on. Um, Plus I was a little bit older than you guys. So I was about 16 in the fall of 1995. And I was also desperately trying to be cool. And so I was watching Friends and Seinfeld and ER and all of the stuff that my friends were watching so that I felt like I could have cultural currency at my high school. So it was a very, very busy time for me. And I think Space Above and Beyond just like slipped right through the radar for me. But I wish I'd watched it because it's, I'm really, really loving it now. Sounds like it was a busy time. <laughs> a young Jane coming of age. Yeah. Trying to fit in at school. Trying, trying, trying to fit in as much TV as possible. It really was. And, it, and I had to fit it around my schoolwork. And I was I was telling Luke before we started recording that I had a, a video recording catalog system. So I had a VHSs and I had different VHS tapes for each different show. And I had pre like preset my VCR to record all of these different shows. And I had a methodology of how I went about it. It was all very specific. And then I had to often rewatch the episodes later in the week because I wasn't available to watch them at the time that they aired. And then there were certain shows that I had to watch at least twice. So it was it was very complicated. Isn't it funny certain things that have just gone away and the old, I remember setting the VCR to record certain things. And if something didn't work properly, you know, the clock was off or something. It just was the worst ever. I'm like, no, it started recording two minutes into the show. And it was, and it was just disaster. the worst. Yeah. It was and it was like, it's one of those disaster. things where it's, that's hard to relate now. And it, it doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess in terms of technology, that's, uh, it was, it was a long time ago now. I remember, I remember having to go away for March break and that was like frightening for me because I would set the VCR for the whole week to tape all of my shows. And if something happened, if there was like a power outage or some kind of issue at the beginning of the week, then everything would be completely, would be pooched. And I remember coming back from a two week vacation over March break to find that neither of my X-Files episode had, had taped. And there was no chance of me getting to see them again until at least the summer when they had reruns. And I had to scour the TV guides looking for the names of this episode that I had missed from earlier in the season so that I could record it and watch it properly. Tough times in the 90s, <laughs> it was, you know? It was tough for everybody. <laughs> well, having now, like, watched a couple episodes, could you, like, summarize for a stranger who's never seen the show, could you, like, tell them what this was in, a, in like, a line? Yeah, I would, I would say it's a precursor to the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. If I was going to just just put it into a simple, or I would say it's maybe Starship Troopers meets Battlestar Galactica as a really basic summary. It's, I guess, Glenn Morgan and James Wong called it World War II in space um, in some of the stuff that I was reading about it. And clearly that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to talk about, do like a military perspective on science fiction. That's probably the best synopsis we've had. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I just say all chigs all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also much more serialized than I expected. That's another thing that I I think it's really ahead of its time. And I'm I'm surprised at how ahead of its time it is in terms of of how serialized it is. Because I thought that it would probably be a little bit. But 
compared to a lot of stuff in the 90s, it's quite strong. I've, I've got another question, though, that's more important. Did, did you watch the episode where the pancakes were flying out the... Yeah. No, no, did, did, now, Luke and I disagreed on this. Did you, did you think that was a good special effect? No, I did not think that that was a good special effect. All right. That's right. Cav- that's right. No, 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 no. Caveat. Was it the best VFX this show has done? No way. Well, I don't know because so the the VFX is 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 bad on the show. I mean, this is this is I think the show's real real weakness. And I know you guys talked about this in your first podcast, and I haven't listened to your other podcast. So anything that has been said in between the pilot and now, I may repeat accidentally. But yeah, the visual effects are quite poor, particularly in the pilot. Um, and I think they do get better in some of the later episodes. They're sort of hit and miss. Yeah, they, they do seem to be hit and miss. I'm wondering if it's like different vendors have different qual- like different VFX companies that are doing the different shots or having different quality of, of materials. I think they have moved into doing some optical effects. Like some of the ships and the flying stuff, I looks to yeah. me like like hybrid, like optical and yeah. When they do effects. when they do anything that's practical, it it turns out pretty well. Like they're doing smoke or they're doing some sort of spark or something. It looks pretty good, but when they go to the CGI, it sometimes gets a little bit dated. I yeah, I think I think it's definitely probably the the worst thing about the show, and it's quite disappointing considering but the you, other. You, you you have seen the character West, right? Okay, <laughs> don't get me started <laughs> on him. We'll talk about him later. Um, but given the other shows that were going on at the time, like the other Star Trek, you know, the Star Trek shows that were happening, I, I, I think somebody must have talked these guys into, into doing all computer generated effects and said, yeah, we can do it. It'll be all just the same. And, and it's not at all the same because any of the shows that are concurrent that are doing optical effects are about 50 bazillion times better. Anyway, those pancakes were great. Let's get on to it. So. <laughs> all right. So this is the uh, summary for episode six, eyes. In an effort to get West to help with an assassination plot, the young Marine is told that the high-ranking Earth officials knew about the aliens before the colonists were sent to Vesta Colony. That IMDb summary is courtesy of The Swede. Oh, nice. The Swede kind of pooched a little bit of the plot there. Though. Yeah, they, I mean, all, they, they often do. That's That was something that came up about halfway to three quarters of the way through the episode i'm glad i didn't read that before i watched the episode oh yeah never say. read these summaries before <laughs> you watch the episode often they'll just ruin the end of it. completely uh i liked this one starts off with what i thought was the first of a series of uh clever emotional misdirects for this episode uh the screen comes up on black and a quote comes up that says tell my mother i died for my country i did what i thought was best and then uh just after it comes up they slowly fade up the uh, the attribution to the quote, which who was the who did they attribute that to? John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth. That's right. It's uh, it comes up as something uh, I guess patriotic, but then you find out, oh, uh, bad guy. Still, he's still considered a bad guy, right? History history hasn't redeemed him. Oh, I think everyone's still on the fence, aren't they? But John Wilkes, John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> um, but yeah, it kind of kicks off the episode, and uh, we sort of see the Saratoga flying into earth it's their first time coming back since the pilot the wild cards are very excited to uh, take a leave on earth but uh it's all interrupted by what becomes a bit of a reoccurring event or element that will happen in this episode a breaking tv news broadcast (laughs) yeah this i think this woman was my favorite thing in the episode robin curtis it was robin curtis i don't know if i know who robin curtis robin curtis the newscaster played lieutenant savick on star trek in Star, in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock and was Star Trek really? Four: Voyage Home, yeah. Oh, I didn't she even notice. Did you notice? I didn't know. Yeah. Well, 
Good trivia. <laughs> yeah. That's that, great. That's amazing. Jane, do you want to take over the podcast? <laughs> well, I liked it because she was just was she was like, he's dead. I just there was everything. She was just so I like the idea of the newscaster watching what's happening and then being very shocked. I like that. It's true. What's happening is a live news broadcast from New Delhi where the U.N. Secretary General uh, Cartwell or Chartwell, who we saw in the pilot, is coming out of a meeting at which point uh, a tank comes out of the crowd, uh, one of the in vitros, and assassinates him in front of the news cameras. And um, a little a little trivia that goes around with that is they sort of talk about how this is the first assassination since uh, 2051, when a silicate killed the president of the United States. Is that what they said? Yeah, they said a silicate shot President Young in 51. I think Vanson says that or something Yeah, that was like a that. terrible slogan. President shot, Young shot. in 51? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great slogan. No, it's, it's assassinate Young in 51. <laughs> um, and then the only thing I, I really noted around that, too, is uh, they can't believe an assassination happens. I think Wong says this. He started talking about, like, all the things they have control of in the future, that how can they not stop an assassination? And one of the things he just drops is, like, we can control the weather. I'm like, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> that's yeah. exciting. But we Could, can't control people. But also, isn't it only 2063 right yeah. now? Yeah. So literally there was an assassination 12 years ago and people are shocked that it's, like... Can you imagine right now if 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 we had had an assassination 12 years ago, it would still be a really big deal. It'd be it'd be George W. Bush. Everybody mm. would be afraid of being assassinated still. Yeah. So that was a little bit weird that they acted like 51 was a long time ago. I just I thought that was a little bit of a flawed premise. Yeah, fair enough. But anyway, I mean, I I wanted to know whether they brought back uh, whether the guy from Justice League was the one who taught them how to control the weather. Right. Weren't they able to control the weather in Star Trek too, though, in Next Generation? Yes. Well, they, they, they definitely... Didn't, didn't they say they like controlled so there wasn't any more hurricanes and stuff? Yeah, they had weather control right. systems on Earth and on like a lot of the colonies. And sometimes they would go haywire. But to be fair, that's what, 22,400 and something? Yeah, it's quite a bit farther ahead of time. Te- TechWar right. also had weather control. There's a whole episode about that's it. That's true. Uh, but it's yeah. very popular. But also, TechWar is terrible. <laughs> so there's that. Very popular science fiction premise, I guess. Yeah. So now that the UN Secretary General has been killed, I guess what this means politically for the world of uh, Space Above and Beyond is that, A, the UN Secretary General runs the world. I know. it's the, the, Apparently the political system in the next, what, 40 years is going to have a real, real overhaul because it didn't, qu- I didn't quite understand how this works. I think it was sort of leaning on the the kind of, the sort of this president of Earth idea, which is also present in Star Trek as well, which right. is that the United Nations is not just sort of a, a bunch of committees. It's actually a governing, a, an Earth governing body. And so whoever is the head of the United Nations is the the leader of the world. Yeah. And they give us a sense of how long, because uh, they say Chartwell was the ninth person to have that much power. So it's been going on for a little while. Like, mm. I mean, I don't know what the election cycles are like, but nine people is a lot. I think Trump might have been the first one. Makes sense. He started Space Force. Yeah. Which slowly became uh, this show. Yeah. Very funny when I was searching Twitter for stuff about this. When Trump announced Space Force, so many people started tweeting about this show. Really? Really? Yeah, they really saw the corollary between Trump's Space Force and Space Above and Beyond. Hmm. There you go. And basically, since they need to now put a new person in charge of the UN. The U.N. Electoral Council has to hold an emergency off-world meeting to elect the new secretary general, which kind of leads us into our, our two leading candidates. Um, who Who is the first leading candidate to uh, become the U- new ruler of the world? 
Well, the first leading candidate is a French guy with the very odd name of Chapu. Nicolas Chapu of France. <laughs> you guys want to tell me a little bit about what, what did you learn about Chapu in this episode? He, he's uh, he's anti in vitros, isn't he? Yes. He is. I remember that. I, and he was, seemed fairly conservative. France was also no longer part of the EU, which I thought was interesting. That's true. They say he's actually from an ultra right wing party known as uh, Parti National d'Identité. Mm. And uh, they classic shampoo, <laughs> classic shampoo. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the uh, National d'Identité, the National d'Identité. I'm never going to get that. His party has a very cool little symbol. Did it remind you of anything? That little iconography. I was trying to figure out what that looked like. Yeah, I didn't know either. What did you think it looked like? It looked exactly like a Nazi uh, swastika. Do you think so? It, I don't know if it did. It definitely did. Have another look at it. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. I to be fair, think you think so. everything looks like a swastika. Well, I mean, that tattoo on your chest is clearly <laughs> a swastika. <laughs> right. Um, I, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you, us to put on Instagram and we'll let the fans decide okay. what's a swastika and what's yeah, not. I didn't, it didn't, didn't say swastika to me. It did... It did look like something, and I couldn't put my finger on what I thought it it looked like. But it had, it did have four direct different directions of, of lines. What you just said I sounds guess. like something that Hitler would have said when they were redecorating his room. <laughs> he like walks in, he's like, I don't know, this doesn't say swastika to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? I uh, just see if there's anything we missed about him here. But I think we got most of it. Um, I guess the only other thing is he he really supports an escalation of the galactic conflict. So he really wants to escalate this war. He wants to push down in vitros. And he's, uh, I guess, just a real right wing guy. Um, they sort of set him up that at least I felt maybe you disagree, but I felt like they had set him up so that you don't like him right off the bat. Because I think you're supposed to be supportive of Hawks and uh, uh, what's his face? What's old white hair? McQueen. Yeah. And so I thought, you're, oh, here's a guy who's anti them. You should not like him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and especially because I don't know if it was wasn't the last episode, but was it the last episode that that Hawks was looking for his family. Oh uh, yeah, there's a couple episodes ago, but yeah. Yeah, it was a couple episodes ago, but it was it was still very present. And at the very beginning of this episode, when they're all looking out on Earth and talking about what they're gonna do for their shore leave, they're all saying family stuff, and Hawks is standing there looking sad. Yeah, and he's like, "I'll just play solitaire, I guess." <laughs> he's very lonely. I'll he's just pull Lint out of my neck nipple. <laughs> um one last thing about uh our dear friend uh Chapu. was that a french accent uh yeah it was it was in the, it was in the realm there it was weird and then he's his assistant guy also had some kind of weird accent that i guess was supposed to be french but... i like in shows where they're just like have you ever heard a french accent before it's like yeah i think so i'll just do it on the day <laughs> that's it i looked into it the actor is actually from uruguay so i think that was just his natural accent and uh -huh. i was like Eh, close enough, you guys. You never know. Maybe the accent adjusted over time. It's, it's 2063. A it's lot has changed. Future. He yeah. moved there. He can still become the president or whatever he is of France. It's not clear. Maybe France has taken over Uruguay and that's still actually considered part of France now. And that's no. where he's from. Maybe. Interesting. I mean, what with that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where's that war? Was that war? Was it in Uruguay? <laughs> I know. It wasn't in Uruguay. I don't think but... so either. Um, <laughs> that was in a previous episode, Jane. Sorry. <laughs> and then the other leading candidate is... For the job Ambassador of... Hayden. There we go. Is US... that, the blind, that the blind lady? Yeah, yeah, the blind lady from the U.S. Her, that actress, Harriet Sansom Harris, is like known for, to me, I just looked at her, I'm like, she always plays creepy characters. Yeah. But characters who are creepy in the way where they smile too much or they look overly calm, but actually they're insane. Yeah, she has, she has a character type she plays 
constantly, which is she's just good at being that person who you just feel uneasy. You're like, I don't think I trust her. And that's like her thing. You know what character type she plays? What's that? Fraser's agent, B.B. Glazer. She did. She did. I have to say, I that was what I remembered her from first. I was like, I know, I know her. I know, I know her. And then I was like, oh right, it's it's Fraser's agent. Which she was really good in that show. I love her on that show. In fact, when I saw her in Phantom Menace, I lost my mind. I was so happy. Who's she in Phantom Menace? She is a a a rich woman who gets married and is a drunk at her wedding, and they have to uh, get the dress off her at some point. She's really, really good in the movie. Hmm, I don't remember. I have no idea what you're even talking about. Yeah. Sorry, I was saying, did I say Phantom Menace? Oh, you mean yeah. Phantom Thread, right? I mean Phantom Thread. Okay. I so do. Like, yeah, yeah. What? Well, because I was like, movie have yeah, you I know seen Jar Jar Binks was in it. <laughs> no, no. I'm thinking of uh, P.T. Anderson's the Phantom, Phantom Menace. Phantom Thread. <laughs> Phantom Menace. <laughs> Remember when he directed the Phantom Menace? Yeah, that was a weird choice, but. Yeah. Good one, though. It was a yeah. strong, strong choice. A lot of fashion in that Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's kind of, I guess, um, positioned as a bit more of a liberal because she supports in vitro rights. She's obviously been uh, on the side, like McQueen and her seem to have some sort of history of supporting his rights. She was a former board of governors director of Aerotech, the uh, mysterious corporation that sent up all the colony missions. Which should have been a tip off to me that there was something else going on, but I didn't catch that at the time. My tip off was her face. That because she's blind and she's got that weird implant in her face. Yeah, I was like, something's not right here. No, I can't put my foot on finger on it or yeah. my foot. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of uh, her thing. Um, oh, uh, I like that when uh, they were talking to her about being blind, she mentioned she was born six months before they cured blindness. Yeah, bad timing. Yeah, real bad timing. And her also her kind of thing is she's one of the few people who is advocating to start engaging in communication with the Chigs in an attempt to negotiate their way out of the war, which uh, Shampoo does not care for. And how do you think that she's uh, doing that negotiation? Because we don't even know anything about them other than as you keep bringing up over and over, their currency is <laughs> he's already, he's already the currency is poop. What? Jane, in future episodes you'll learn. <laughs> That Jordan has been developing a very complicated theory that the Chig's currency is their own poop. Yeah. Uh, he's gone into it in great detail. Oh, I'll have to listen for that. Oh, you'll never <laughs> stop hearing the end of it. If their currency is their own poop, then why do they need to fight anybody or colonize other worlds? If they, they just have to make their own poop and then they'll be happy. And they'll well, be able no, to, as to we, trade as we all know, uh, the wealth from poop doesn't bring happiness, you know? You're told that over and over, but it just isn't true. Money doesn't make equal happiness. Yeah, exactly. It's that classic Chig Beatles song. <laughs> but the other big thing about, about Ambassador Hayden, not only does she want to engage in, in dialogue with the Chigs, but she basically openly says, like, we have no hope of winning this war. Because there's, I, I forget who she's talking to, but she's having a conversation about the conquest of North America and the yeah. colonization of North America. And basically her argument is that the indigenous people didn't have a choice except to talk with the colonizers because they knew they were That's interesting. outnumbered they, and done. They get in our, uh, this is actually West gets in an argument with her because he, he doesn't like the idea of having a conversation with the Chigs. I read it the opposite way. I thought she was saying the Chigs were the analogy for the indigenous people, that they were the ones whose oh. land was being stomped on. And of course they had to fight back. They had to defend their way of life. I thought she was saying that in terms of in the other way. Maybe she was. That's I, I read it the opposite. That's interesting. Way. 
I, I, cause maybe I'm wrong. My feelings were she was creepy cause she was blind. <laughs> you never trust <laughs> you're a just, blind person. You're just yeah. like getting lost in her creepy yeah. blind her eyes. Weird, her weird opaque eyeballs. Very, very interesting reads. We, we went different ways on that. Yeah. But also I was still sort of harboring under the illusion that she was going to end up being a, a decent person in some way. So maybe I was... I mean, to be fair, I don't. I think what we learned in this episode is is it's more complicated for everybody. Yeah. No one's necessarily a bad guy, um, but we'll we'll move on and we'll kind of get into it. Um, those are sort of the two candidates up to be the general uh, secretary general of the UN who will run the world. We learned very quickly the election is going to take place on the Saratoga, and um, so another thing we learn is the wild cards are finally getting replacements for all those dead members of their squad. <laughs> Yeah. Who we never really meet. Yeah. But uh, it's only been the five of them for a while. And now we get to meet three new people who are joining the squad. Uh, there's Lieutenant Pissarak, Lieutenant Stone, and the only new member who really matters to this episode, Lieutenant Richard Swerko. Well, was, was it Swerko? I wrote down Sorko. I can't remember. Was it Pissarak? Uh, yeah. Lieutenant Pissarak is the woman who joins. Uh, they're all jerks. That's all you need to know about them. They're each one of them are like, I'm a jerk. What about you? I'm a jerk too. Right? Well, that's, I mean... They're all jerks. Uh, Swerko's only real character traits are he's a big fan of Shapoo. He hates in vitros. Those are, like, kind of what we get to know about him yeah. right off the top. Wow. But he still seemed kind of stoked to be on the team. Oh. It, it was a bit of a weird thing. It's like you're trying to ingratiate yourself into this team that you say you're really excited to be on, but also you're a douche. It is true. He was like butts. He showed up and he's like, I have been trying to join this squad forever. And now I'm on it, and I'm going to fucking push around Hawks. I'm going to yeah, insult but, everybody. But, butts was great, though. This guy was not. <laughs> he was no butts. <laughs> He's no butts. So the 58th is sort of put in charge of the honor guard for all the visiting UN dignitaries. Um, there's also a, a surprise dignitary that drops by that Hayden invites to the talks, which is a ship full of silicates. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, and one of them, again. And one of them looks just like uh, the one from the other episode that ate the oil, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, they're like kind of Cylon-like in that way. Yeah. Like there's multiples that look the same, but they have different yeah, personalities and, what happens and different to them? gene pools or whatever. You're right. They're exactly like Cylons. Yeah. That's very funny. Yeah, the AIs are totally Cylons. Well, and the show's been pretty good at picking up loose threads from previous episodes. So I assume a few episodes from now, they'll open one of the cargo ships and they'll find all of the silicates and they're dead because they forgot about them. <laughs> and then they'll just be like, oh, whoops. And then they'll just kind of close it and walk away. Jettison them out into space next yeah, to the yeah, pancakes. Yeah. Now, because the assassin who killed the last secretary general is a tank, uh, McQueen and Hawks are pulled off duty because they don't know if they can be trusted, and they're they're basically sent in to uh, be given loyalty tests. Um, how would you describe the loyalty tests our two tank uh, crewmates are given? It's exactly like the Blade Runner test. Yeah, it's the Blade Runner replica. Like it's test. not even. It's not even. Uh, they didn't even hide it. It's just literally the exact same. It's it, like they just watched Blade Runner and just do that. Yeah, it is totally the Void Kampf machine. Is yes, that what it's called? Kampf. Void That's Kampf. What it's called. Oh. Yeah, I looked it yeah. up so I could throw that out there and look real smart. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> they've got they've got them. They're sitting at a, on a little, in, in a with a little headset on. They got a little a little monitor camera flipped over their eye, and then a close up of their eye is visible on a bunch of monitors around the room and and then there's a little true false indicator it's essentially a polygraph uh, it's actually less sophisticated than the voight test <laughs> because true. because it's really just a polygraph test right because in, in blade runner they're asking sort of these odd esoteric questions where you don't even really know what they're trying to find where this it was like did you disobey orders 
did you pull your pants on? It's like, <laughs> it's like all, it's like yes or no questions as opposed to, you know, something a little more, it's a little deeper or a little, I don't know, a little more difficult to ascertain what they're looking for. Absolutely. But, but presumably they can tell if they're lying or not by whatever their eye does. Yeah, right. That's the major thing you yeah. need to know. And it's also very dark in the room, much like in Blade Runner. And there's the light, all the light sources are the monitors. And I looked this up because I saw it in the credits and I was like, what is going on? The the questioner, the guy who was asking the questions, who you, you barely ever see, is actually credited as the actor Michael Henry, who is Sam Healy from Orange is the New Black. The guy who's like the ca- their counselor guy. I don't watch the show, do you? I haven't watched it either. Okay, anyway. Sorry. It's a really good show. You should watch it. But anyway, he played, it was a bit part. He probably just got it as like a walk-on role practically but he's the questioner oh, interesting so there you go this loyalty test as we said is a bit of a uh, polygraph so kind of uh, we don't learn a lot in it but we do get to learn a couple interesting facts about these characters uh we learn mcqueen's first name oh what was it steve it's like Tyrius cassius or something like what is it i didn't even write it down that's it it's Tyrius cassius or tc to his friends yeah oh is it tc to his friends which i feel like is a captain kirk rip off they're like let's give him a crazy roman sounding name and nobody will use it until they have to we debated another episode uh, who on earth gives these people these names and we just assume they give them to themselves yeah because we realized why would they have first and last names because they don't have family true and and i think we had i didn't didn't wasn't it uh oh what's his face well hawks, hawks? was looking and what did it, it was like Susie was his his sister or whatever right it just said Susie. it didn't say uh, katie i think or yeah, kate or whatever like it was but it, it didn't have like a whole name yeah Anyway, anyway, it was good to know what his name was. Um, and the other thing we learn is that Hawks has killed a natural-born human at some point and not in battle. Yeah. Is this new information? This is new. I, I was trying to figure out if it was new information because it was new to me, but then I thought maybe I'd missed no, something I, because McQueen seemed to know about it. Yeah, they, they what they... Now, I could be wrong, but I think they've implied that he has... Uh, McQueen has sort of taken him in his confidence and, they, and he knows this bit of information about about hawks but i don't think they've ever mentioned it before that i can remember i wonder if it was a deleted scene or something from an earlier episode yeah i don't know it's I, just I was... him strangling a guy no i mean him telling mcqueen about it right like them right. them developing this this confidential friendship and revealing something i don't know wouldn't it be great if it was west and then you just never saw west again <laughs> happened just before this yeah human. just for this episode um I, i'm sure they'll come back to it. i'm sure this is going to be like a, it's a, a tease to something that's coming down the line at any rate, what kind of comes out of these loyalty tests is uh, McQueen w- won't answer a question about whether he's ever betrayed his country. Not, I think, because he has, but more out of protest for being even asked the question. So he gets tossed into the brig. And then Hawks, he complies and sort of answers the questions. And at the sort of end of his loyalty test, someone jams a needle into his neck. <laughs> they stab him in the neck quite suddenly. Yeah. And uh, they implant him with something but what happens is it gets jammed in his neck and what we see is we see flashes of the uh party national the entity like the the thing i thought might be a nazi symbol sort of flash on the screen mm-hmm. the idea being this this has been implanted in his mind i like that because it implies that you have to finish the test or you can't inject that in someone's neck why wouldn't they just have done it to begin exactly with? there's no reason I know. That's it, why. it was it was very funny was unless just... they were trying to determine whether or not he was loyal first and then stab him if he because he basically pretty much passed the test even though it yeah. turned out that he had killed a dude in the past but he basically passed the test so maybe they were waiting to determine that he'd passed before they they stabbed him maybe it only works on loyal people yeah 
Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> uh, as for the rest of the wild cards, including the new guys, they're sent on a secret assignment to the moon to pick up Ambassador Hayden. What's kind of interesting here is uh, since they're off and McQueen and Hawks have been taken off for this uh, loyalty testing, they sort of have a conversation about whether or not it's possible to trust McQueen and Hawks as tanks with this new sort of assassination happen. And uh, Dampus, of course, sort of stands up and says, like, Hawks has never given us any reason to be suspicious of him. Um, but what's really weird is Hanson chimes in in the background. She's just like, well, there was the one time we caught him with that She-Mail oh, magazine. Oh, God. That was ridiculous. I was like, okay, yeah. that's something this that is, you could the, not. This is like one of those weird uh, weird lines they dropped last time. Or was what was it they said about Dampus? They're like, she's a real wild ride or whatever. It's one of those like, all right, guys, come on. Gross. Yeah, I was, I was disappointed in Vanson. She's better than that. Yeah. Shaming him yeah. for his sexual well, proclivities. <laughs> aside from all of the issues around this bizarre magazine that they seem to be talking about, I was just really actually annoyed that they were even having this conversation. I mean, I know that it was required. It's required for the plot of the episode. But this is just one of the times where I found a few times I'm really enjoying the series. But every once in a while, I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, do you have to telegraph all of this stuff so much to an audience? Like you have to bring up these people who have clearly been loyal to each other, have been working together, who have like are so cohesive as a team. All that it takes is some random act and then suddenly they're debating it and we're supposed to believe that they're debating well, it. I, I found it really annoying. I will say to be fair, for the most part, the most of the 58th is not on board with this with the sole holdout of West who sides with the tank-hating Swervo. Yeah. He West is, is back worst. into jerk West mode. It took, he was off for like an episode or two where I was like, all right, he's not so bad. Now I'm like, I hate, I hate him again. He is absolutely useless. Isn't like, he the worst? He is the worst. I was calling him worst yeah. instead of West. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we missed that. <laughs> because like all of my notes about him was just like, worst does it again. Like, nice. he's completely useless. He's, he's the worst. He's the worst. Yeah. He's well, the absolute worst. I mean, in this episode, when him and Swervo are basically saying, maybe we can't trust these tanks, he, he's he's kind of questioning how how on earth McQueen could have climbed up to the rank he got to. And he starts complaining again about how tanks got him kicked off the Talos mission, which they didn't get him kicked off. New people came on and he had to leave. And also, they saved his life. Well, like, yeah, he, but yeah, but he's got this. I mean, I'll give him this. At least there's a consistency in his character that he has this chip on his shoulder that hasn't gone away yet. So, that is so true. as annoying as it is, he's been at least consistent that at best he has a tenuous relationship with uh, Hawks and he has a problem with with tanks. It's true. He he's coming around. I guess I guess they're trying to let him slowly learn his lesson. But it it is very funny to watch him always be the cad. Yeah. Now that they have Hayden and they're sort of heading back to the Saratoga, there's a little glitch that pops up on their navigation, which uh, reveals that someone's planted a bomb on the ship. Only one person can save them. Do you remember who that was? Isn't it that jerky guy? Swervko? Yeah. Yeah, Swervko's the only... How does he save them from the bomb? He takes the bomb and he puts it into, like, a little escape hatch thing, and then he, like, ties himself to the wall, and then he hits the escape hatch and it, like, blows out, right? Yeah. yeah. But here's what I didn't understand. Why did he even have to be in the room? Why didn't he just put the bomb in the escape hatch and let it go out? Oh, they said he on there... He was showboating. They said on there that someone needed to be inside to activate the controls. But that doesn't make sense. The escape what? hatch will only open if there's someone in it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. That's what I was like, come on. This makes no <laughs> sense how this ship operates. 
it was a plot point so they could go oh he's maybe not a bad guy but he clearly is he's got a real jerk face he saved he saved the day now he's a jerk um him him and west should have gone and blown up together they're best friends now yeah i know but you're not wrong in one way though uh, as they get off the ship after this assassination attempt on hayden one of the new wild cards uh Pizak, points out to everyone it's like hey wasn't swerveco at the ship before all of us like he probably planted it <laughs> It was a very funny scene where it's like, I thought you two were friends. <laughs> no, no, he's not at She's all. She's just like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, we're jerks, but uh, we hate him, too. <laughs> now that Hayden's on the ship and this assassination attempt has happened, uh, Shampoo offers to, like, loan his bodyguard out to her to kind of protect her, but she doesn't need protection. But the bodyguard, after getting turned down as protection, goes up to West and invites him to a private meeting with Shampoo. He wants, he's seen something in West and he'd like to speak with him in his yeah, quarters ra- Racism privately. is what he saw. <laughs> and uh yeah uh, in in his quarter shampoo starts flattering west kind of telling him how he can tell that west is a man who wants to know the truth so he's going to tell west the truth he's very he's really he butters him up he really butters west up but what is interesting is that he reveals to west that aerotech and by extension hayden did know that the chigs existed on the colonies before they sent the missions there they just ignored the fact that these aliens probably existed on the planet well Which, that's what he says but he I says we was, don't have any uh anything that confirms no this, there's though. no corroborating evidence and i actually wrote down sounds like a trap for an assassination don't do it west you are the worst could, could you imagine if you were in the room and, and <laughs> he was like wait a yelling. minute sorry this sounds <laughs> like this sounds like a trap you'd be like oh right i'm a big dummy yeah. but but the whole point is that you don't know what West is going to do, but he spends the most of the rest of the episode just like crouched in the shadows like a pervert. <laughs> I mean, I will give him this. I actually do think Aerotech knew because they, I think they did they've too. been angling a weird corporate conspiracy this entire series. Yeah. And so this was an interesting reveal that I think it should be taken at face value. It's interesting. I'll see how it develops as we go. But sort of after Chapu drops this bomb, he takes his leave of his cabin and uh, the bodyguard takes West aside and says sort of reveals that the UN vote's going to happen, but it won't get decided tonight. It'll be too close to call, and they'll probably have to recount the next day. And that, so when that happens, he'd like West, who's on watch you that night, to leave the door open to the executive quarters so that uh, Shampoo can stop by and visit visit yeah, so Hayden just in the middle of the chat. night. Just have a peaceful chat. Just, just take a walk. Just leave the door unlocked. Minutes, leave West. your post. Dereliction of duty. Seems fine to me. <laughs> Um, so and we're kind of left wondering what West will do with this yeah. indecent proposal, <laughs> right? Is he going to sleep with Robert Redford? How much better would the show be if Robert Redford was on it? That'd be Oof, great. That'd be a good show. Yeah, so much better. Well, this is kind of happening. We cut back to McQueen, and he's he's trapped in the brig, and he gets a couple of visitors of his own. Uh, Hayden drops by and sort of apologizes for the indignities he's going through, and sort of promising as soon as he, she's elected. He'll get out of the brig. She just can't do anything for him now because it's a politically inconvenient time to advocate for him. He's, she's trying to win this election. She can't be seen sympathizing. And so he just needs to hang out and sort of to show kind of like why she's doing it and what, what they're up against. Uh, she passes him one of the insignia of the uh, party uh, de national identity, uh, this little uh, swirly signal, uh, sim- singlet. Mm, that's not right. Insignia. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she leaves, Hawks drops by for a chat too. And while they're talking, something something McQueen says triggers Hawks. And he starts, like, ranting off sort of this, like, weird political rhetoric that, like, is out of character for him, I guess. Yeah, or he saw the, the little badge. 
Was that what happened? You think? I'm not. I'm not sure. I didn't know at the time, but afterwards, when I realized that the badge was the trigger and all of this, I was like, "Oh, maybe that's what happened." Is that he? No, he I think the badge was the trigger because later on, when he's uh, and this, we're going to get to we'll this get moment. To it. But I mean, there's a point where he's got a gun up, and what they do to stop him, at least in the moment, is cover the badge. Yeah. No, he's definitely. But I thought maybe it triggered him in that moment with. With yeah, I'm not ha- sure with uh, McQueen, but I, I don't know if you saw the badge in that moment. I'm not. Maybe I'm not. not really clear what happened there. It sort of triggered something, but it, basically, he's says some stuff that's very out of character and very political, which McQueen immediately is suspicious of, mm-hmm. which kind of like raises his hackles, and he's he's worried about Hawks. But going back to the Hayden conversation for a second, I thought it was actually kind of cool. So I wrote this down. One of her little when she was giving her little sp- spiel about why she couldn't, what you know, how everything was politically dangerous, and she couldn't let. McQueen out she said and I quote there are a lot of paranoid people they believe what they feel which I thought was very cool and then she says to patronize them is a serious miscalculation to ignore them or hope they will go away is very dangerous which I thought was like a very prescient kind of idea because I don't know how much that was in the cultural consciousness in the 90s. Maybe more than I realized because I was only 16 years old. You're right though, Jane. I uh, I was also thinking like this, that dialogue could have easily been transported to a show from like 2018. It would have been like right on the nose. Still. Totally, right on the money. It was, I don't know, it was just very interesting. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm probably reading a little bit too much into it because of our I, current times. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of cool. As predicted, the election is too close to call with the UN. So um, the next day, they are going to try again. So there's kind of this night off. And West goes on watch. You see him contemplating whether he's going to open this door or not. But he opens the door. <laughs> of take, course he does. Doesn't he's take the worst. a lot. <laughs> uh, but instead of walking away and kind of letting things happen, he, as Jordan mentioned, goes and crouches in the shadows. Yeah. You're like, West, where's your hands? And what he sees is uh, Shampoo sort of arrives but he doesn't go into Hayden's quarters. He kind of walks away and goes down a hallway. And as soon as he does, Swervko emerges with a gun and he actually takes a shot at Shampoo. The assassination attempt is on Shampoo. And of course, West intervenes and struggles with him. And there's actually like a pretty cool little chase sequence that happens here where they're running through hallways and they're kind of taking shots at each other. Swervko gets to his hammerhead and kind of gets in and West manages to get a lucky shot off and shoots off a fuel line. And so as Swervko like launches off the spaceship, I guess like what happens to his ship there? Like depressurizes? Yeah, I don't know. The like the glass enclosure of of the windshield is like broken or something. Right. And he's getting warnings that it's going to go off and that it's broken, but he just goes anyway. And then he just decompresses into space. Well, it's funny. I I felt like he didn't want to go, but like there was no way to stop the sequence for some reason. I don't know. It was very, it was a strange. I, I think was, once you're in the ship, it's pretty much, there's not, you don't have too many options. It's either fly back or become a space pancake. We sort of pull back from his hammerhead floating away as he's dead to uh, Ambassador Hayden, I guess, watching. I don't know how blind people watch out a window, but uh, she's watching his ship float away. Mm-hmm. And uh, a man comes to her door and steps inside and tells her the operative has failed. Should we activate the backup? <gasps> and that was the twist. That was the big twist, which actually, I'm embarrassed to say a little bit, shocked the hell out of me. It was good. I I did not actually expect that. I was just in the middle of writing down how predictable it was, what was happening. And then I literally stopped typing as I was watching and I went (gasps) like this. 
And then I just typed, but wait, it's a twist. Like I just, I just kept being surprised and it, writing more things. It was a pretty well written episode. I thought like they didn't telegraph the turns too much. There, there were the red herrings were enough to throw me off. I didn't quite know which way it was ever going to go. I thought it was a pretty reasonable thriller like through this episode. Yeah, I thought it was quite well done, actually, especially compared to previous episodes, because as I've said, I felt like a lot of earlier episodes were telegraphing things. And this one I thought it was, but it was it was a bunch of red herrings and I thought they did it pretty well. Yeah, Jordan, it was all right. <laughs> You're never impressed. I don't think I like this one as much as you guys did. Very okay. interesting. Still going to give it like 15 points. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> we kind of jump back now to McQueen, who's uh, bat- as this has been happening, he's been l- grilled in the loyalty test again, except this time uh, Commodore Ross sort of intervenes. He runs a Saratoga and he just doesn't like seeing one of his men treated this way. And he he uh, he says to them, and I quote, this is my ship. Now get the hell off her and like throws the loyalty team out, out the door and McQueen's sort of free to go. And as he's sort of running through the hallways, he, he runs into West and asks if the assassination attempt was by Hawks, um, which West informs him it wasn't. So he knows he needs to go track down Hawks. But it's kind of too late because Hawks has already been activated for his now uh, Manchurian candidate assassination on Shapu. And as we sort of catch up with Chapu, his bodyguard finds a very convenient excuse to uh, walk away from him for some reason. I think he says he had left some paperwork behind somewhere. Yeah, oh. he's like, he's like, I'm just going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to let you, why don't you get on the ship, he says. And then he wanders off. I'm just the worst Classic. bodyguard ever. And on the ship, uh, Hawks is kind of waiting in the shadows. And as Jordan sort of said earlier, McQueen arrives and he sort of deduces that the trigger that they've implanted inside of Hawks is is not a right wing philosophy like sort of implied earlier. But literally, if he sees this insignia for this party, he'll shoot whatever has it. So um, they kind of stop Chapu from like revealing the insignia on his chest so he gets shot. And he uses the pin that Hayden gave him earlier. And McQueen sort of distracts Hawks with the gun and is able to like save Shampoo's life and help save Hawks's life so he's gonna assassinate this guy. And that kind of like wraps up the assassination plot. It also wraps up the loyalty issue because That's it right. becomes clear that these two guys have passed the true loyalty test. That's true. I think McQueen throws that in his face. He's like, mm-hmm. How's that for a loyalty test? <laughs> yeah. And then he should have said payback's a bitch. <laughs> but there's no payback. Loyalty's a Loyalty's bitch. Loyalty's a bitch. And we kind of get a brief shot at the end. Uh, Chapu's bodyguard kind of takes the fall for all the assassination attempts. And as he's being dragged away, he sort of says to Wes, he's like, if you'd had the chance to assassinate Hitler or Stalin or Dr. Stranahan. Yeah, there's always, that's, that's your classic science fiction where they do two that you know and they just throw in a third person. You're like, I guess that happened in the next 50 years. <laughs> Well, they, it's very funny because I guess Hitler and Stalin, they need no introduction. But then he says, Dr. Stranahan, the guy who started the AI war. <laughs> like, yeah. In case you didn't know. And then we kind of get the final reveal that the UN has elected a secretary general to run the world. But it's not Chapu. Hayden ends up winning in the end anyway, despite the failed assassination attempts. She is elected uh, legitimately as the president or not the president, secretary general. And as she's going to leave to go back to Earth... She uh, stops to award West uh, some sort of medal for stopping the assassination. A medal for basically doing nothing except for yeah. what was sort of maybe his job. Well, maybe West didn't mention the part where he left all the doors he just open. wandered off for 20 yeah. minutes. And it looked like he really did some good. He didn't accidentally set up the assassination attempt. Um, but as she goes to pin the medal on him, West like takes his chance to ask her 
whether it's true that she and the uh, Arrow Corp knew that the Chigs were on Vesta and Telus. And when he asks her that, she gets a real, a real, real pissy face and takes the metal back and walks she away. She just leaves. I, I couldn't believe that. I know. She you, just walks like, she, away. She could just say, like, she could just lie. As That's what I to thought. Like, I thought yeah. she was going to be like, of course not. There was no No, she was like, idea. you uh, you threatened my sense of decorum and just walked away. She was very offended. Yeah. I'm trying to give you a yeah. medal here. Yeah. But that was where she like did her full turn. I think because yeah. she was fully elected. Actually, I was thinking at the end of the episode, she reminded me a lot of Louise Fletcher's character from Deep Space Nine, Kai Wynn. Mm-hmm. who is like this very self-serving politician who appears outwardly to be very gracious, but actually is completely calculating. And because Hayden has now won the election, she doesn't have to explain herself to anybody. And she just turns and walks away. And I think that was sort of a harbinger for like what her character maybe will either will turn out to be this season or was intended to be over the course of the of the series as actually being like quite an antagonist. Do you think she'll wear sunglasses in the next episode, though? So you don't have to see your eyes? Yeah. <laughs> this Advisor? is all you could focus on these terms. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was interesting, though. I, I enjoyed the episode. And, I mean, you're right. She's clearly not a good guy. That's what we learned. But, I mean, Shapu wasn't a good guy either. Like, they were just both, like, someone bad was going to get into power Yeah, but she's way. a much more interesting long-term villain. Absolutely. Like, uh, from a dramatic perspective. Because she's has the outward appearances of being fairly liberal and left-wing. and But then, of course, she's also been on this evil board of of directors of the corporation that I'm sure is going to turn out to have been much more evil than we were aware of. Well, I assume in future episodes we'll get a, we'll get some scenes where West chants, lock her up. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) All right. You guys want to move on to uh, episode seven? I just have one more thing about this episode that I wanted to ask your guys' opinion on. Absolutely. So when Hawks is brainwashed, he's done so by like with a needle to the neck. Do we presume that this brainwashing could happen to anybody or only to tanks? I, I think the actual test was what was brainwashing, and the needle was maybe the final sort of like make them uh, more susceptible to the final test. So I think it was only tanks. So was the tank who killed the president at the beginning of the episode also an assassin? And if so, who hired him and why? I think he was an assassin who went through the same loyalty test, but I, I don't know who hired him. You don't think Hayden? You don't think it was Hayden? Eh, probably West. As a power play? Probably West. It can't be West. <laughs> well, here, all right. If we're going to go down that direction, was Swervko a tank? Well, I don't know. Did we ever see the back of his neck? Oh, that's a good. That's actually a thing. Yeah, you're right. Because no, I'm pretty sure he wasn't because he was so anti tanks. But, but he so- wasn't. It was just he because he was working for. Hayden, he wasn't anti-tanks. I was just his cover. But was he brainwashed? He was just a he was just a John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, I don't. Know. I think he was a John Wilkes Booth. I think he was he was a guy that was with Hayden that agreed to do the job, and in order to protect, to cover for himself, he pretended to be pro Shapu. <laughs> All right, <laughs> everybody at home, make a giant flowchart yeah. on your wall. Run strings between it. Take a photo. Send the conspiracy to us. And Luke wants you to put as many swastikas on that as possible. <sighs> All right, let's get into the next one, you guys. All right. Episode seven, The Enemy. All right. We all got burned by those lights. And that's when Dan Fu started freaking out. And Wang. You weren't exactly displaying the nerves of a brain surgeon. Shut up! We're all a little scared here. All right! And we all had headaches in this area. 
That's where the amygdala area is. Come on, why do I know I ain't gonna be following this real good? It's a collection of neurons that houses fear memories. Injections in that area decreased post-traumatic stress in AI war veterans. Now, I swear, I heard an electronic pop before the flashes, like a bomb. What if the chicks have developed a weapon that could affect the area of the brain that houses fear memories? It would increase our phobias to the point of complete incapacitation. An electronic nerve gas that causes us to turn on each other. The members of the 58th turn on each other after they land on the planet Tataris and encounter a Chig mind-altering weapon that wrecks havoc on the area of the brain that controls fear. That IMDb synopsis is also courtesy of the Swede. Mm, also gave away a little stuff again. It's true. Classic Swede. That Swede. He's so tricky. <laughs> so I'm going to do this off the top, and you guys can chime in later if you want to. But throughout this episode, they're going to keep cutting sort of back to the wild cards, being interviewed, interrogated by uh, McQueen and Commodore Ross about whether Dampus derelicted duty or whatever everyone on the team basically says the same thing every time they cut back to this which is basically like you weren't there man you don't get it so i'm not going to go back every time they go back to these like interrogation sequences because i don't think they really add a lot to the plot but i don't know if you guys have anything you wanted to throw in about these interrogations all i want to say is this episode and i don't know if i'll be able to articulate this properly it had something that kind of annoys me which is if the characters just said what happened and were clear about it I don't see what the issue is and why there would even be this whole uh, integrity commission or whatever you want to call it, them checking uh, uh, to see what happened and blah, blah, blah. They go through the whole thing and they all have their story and like, yeah, you had to be there. You don't understand. But at the very end, they just go, oh, though they told us what happened and we just decided it was it was fine. I just felt just at the end. I was like, what was the point of this episode? Does yeah, that make there, sense? There weren't really any stakes in the interrogations. The interrogations were entirely just as a narrative device. Yeah, they to, were pointless. Yeah. That's what you're I mean, that's what you're saying is yeah. is the story itself is fine. There's a narrative in the story, but these like cut flash forwards to them being interrogated lended nothing to the episode. They also weren't even facing them when they were interrogated. The blocking of the interrogation was very strange. <laughs> they were like at a long table and the person being interrogated was at the end of the table facing directly to camera and then at the at the camera end of the table facing on the sides facing each other were the two commanders who were interrogating this person. Right. It didn't even make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I... They weren't very useful scenes. I guess they just padded up the episode. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to add this mystery of what's going to happen. It's like, but you're going to watch it happen anyway. So it just was a weird narrative technique. Yeah, I have a, quite a few criticisms of this episode. The main one of which is that they use so many narrative techniques that have been previously used in so many different shows that it's almost not worth watching. Um, right. Also, also Dampus is real annoying in this episode. Didn't you find that? Like I everyone, thought she was, everyone I, was. Everyone's annoying, but I thought she was, and I've never had a problem with her character before in this episode. Every time she appeared, I'm like, oh gosh, she's going to start screaming at blood she again. She just had too many lines. Like if they had just cut out some of the times where she kept saying, but there's blood, but I can't go. Like if she just, they just made it so she looked scared. Like instead <laughs> right. of every cutaway to her, her talking about blood and saying all these lines, I think it would have helped a lot. All right, let me, let me get us started into this episode here. The mission this episode is the wild cards are being sent to deliver supplies to a battlefield on Tataris. What do you guys know about Tataris? It's the place beyond hell. Well, I know it's also correctly pronounced Tartarus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tartarus? No, no, no. Tartarus. But they called it Tataris. 
Tartarus on the show, but it's Tartarus. I don't know. Is it's, it? I wrote down Tartarus. I don't know what what is that. Is Tartarus that... is Greek hell, like the hell below Hades, where the Titans are. Oh, hence the nickname to, to live mm. is Tartarus. Oh, so the idea that and I didn't, I wasn't sure if the planet was actually called or if, because um, Wang was just like they call it Tartarus. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be its nickname. Yeah, the nickname of the of like the battlefield or the or the planet because the battle was ongoing. Oh, but I don't. I didn't know why he called. It, he pronounced it. Anyways, it didn't. It doesn't matter. But I mean, that is the the source of. Tar- that's how. It, Tartarus. What do we know about the planet then, from what they tell us, or the battlefield? Isn't it just that there's uh, everyone's fighting and I don't know, no one's winning. There's uh, an ongoing battle own. and the generals are weirdly obsessed with continuing it, even though it's a no-win situation. I thought it was going to be like a Gallipoli. Like I thought they were going to be tunneling and stuff, which would have been cool, but it seemed to be more like a trench warfare kind of situation yeah. when we got down there. And I guess there's no sun. The sun had burnt out at some point. Did they say that? What they said, uh, Wong, when he's talking about the planet, says that he calls it the planet that didn't have what it took to be a star. And I didn't understand what he meant yeah. by that. Also, uh, this is a classic uh, Wong, as that's the character name, right? Yeah. He, he's, they, clearly the writers don't know what to do with him because the only time he has dialogue is to mention some sort of sporting event that hasn't really happened, or he's just there to give you plot information points like this. Although like I it, did like it when he talked about his girlfriend that he met on the internet. Yeah, that's true. That was fun. Vanson didn't like it. Vanson's mind was just blown by the idea of meeting someone on the internet. She could not handle it. Yeah, Classic Vanson. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I guess what I'm getting at here is the planet. What they kind of said about this planet is you get about 30 meters of visibility. It's got a sulfur dioxide atmosphere. It's 68.5 degrees Celsius at night. It's just like an awful planet they've been basically stuck on since the beginning of the war. And they just can't get any, any forward momentum taking it. So as they land their transport onto the planet... Uh, Wong goes to look at the cargo and he's he's grossed out by some cockroaches that are crawling all over it. And this is the first time we've ever seen cockroaches on the ship. I don't know why why they were there before. Has this been a problem on the ship, cockroaches? I don't know. I don't think so. And then uh, like a container falls over and a bag of blood like falls onto Dampus's hand and she like picks up and puts it back. And really, this is just like the most awkward foreshadowing for this yeah. episode. Like, also, why were they transporting a big big bag of blood? So many casualties. <laughs> It was just yeah, I guess that, they were delivering supplies, right? It so was, probably for transfusions. It, I think this episode, and we can go through, obviously we'll go through bits of it, but it had so many clumsy things in it. Like, she's scared of blood. Why? I don't know. And it's like, because there's a bag of blood there. He's scared of cockroaches. Why? Eh, it's cockroaches. And it just, it's like they, they just thought of the first thing that came to their mind of what their fears could be, as opposed to something interesting or deep that maybe told us something about the character and and none of them really did none of them oh, really did oh wrong again no i'm not wrong wong, what, what did you learn wong talks about how he grew up in a hellhole yeah, where but his no, pillow was covered in bugs i know but we don't that doesn't we don't <laughs> learn anything about him though it doesn't matter who cares get, get angrier jordan no who cares though <laughs> no i agree i this is why i thought that it was like kind of lazy writing is that it yeah. was it was they had all these like surface fears that end up causing a lot of plot problems but they don't, in the end, actually reveal anything really about the characters. Like, Hawks doesn't want to wear his helmet. Like, yeah, that, that, like, Well, that's what I mean. So it's like, no, I get you. They, they it, on the surface... Oh, Jordan, I don't care. On I'm the just surface, you up. On the surface, it looks like you're learning about these characters, but it's, you're not. Well, it's, in a better version of this episode, you would be. 
Yeah, but it was... might as well have been like, oh, I like the color blue. Great. Now I know that character likes blue. Who cares? Yeah. I've never I didn't seen like you this so episode. passionate. I didn't like this episode. Um, yeah, they land. There's a squad that tries to get onto the ship that's freaking out, and uh, they're gunned down by another Marine. So they, they're like, oh, this planet's crazy. And I, this was really weird as a throwaway line, but the, in the chaos, I, they're like... The flight crew got killed and they damaged the engine. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> when did that I love I love throwaway lines like that that just that stitch stuff together. Uh, they get a brief message that's called down from a McQueen telling them they're going to be stuck down there because of high wind and they won't have radio contact. So we know they're isolated on this scary of course, planet. Of course the radio is not going to work. Did you guys catch um, McQueen's call sign? The first no, time we've no, heard what was uh, his wild card call sign. He's Queen Six. Oh, really? Which isn't a card. <laughs> Queen six? That's like his call sign? A, spade, a, six of, a six of spades would be a card. Yeah, also his name is just Queen. Yeah, so McQueen. It's... Queen six. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I was just busy thinking about the Marine that was crazy and shooting them and yelling, I'm afraid of myself. I'm afraid of and myself. I'll try not to keep mentioning and harping on this, but I hate it in TV shows where characters just yell all their lines to give a sense of uh, conflict or urgency. And this episode was just packed with people nonstop yelling about nothing i i most of my notes are shut up please stop shut up that's what my notes are for this episode yeah the 58th basically decides they're going to try to track this crazy marine down and subdue him and bring him back so they they wander through a spooky canyon it's full of spooky echoes they finally find the crazy guy and as you said jane he's shouting about being afraid but before they can get to him he steps on a mine i like that part what's that mine called oh i wrote it down i did you have it jane no uh, I have it. Hold on. It's called Buzzbeam. Yeah, a Buzzbeam mine, which yeah. is very fun because it just shoots a very bright light out of it, and I guess cuts them in half. Yeah, it's like a it's like a, a lightsaber bomb. Yeah, it's a chig a chig mine. Very fun little mine they built. Yeah, it was, I like that. And as soon as that happens, the entire area they're in starts like flashing like lightning, and kind of like. Can you describe what's happening when that flashing's happening? I know that it flashes and then they sort of superimpose over skeletons. And I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be skeletons were kind of attacking them. They were in the lasers or that was like x-rays of their own bodies. It was supposed to be x-rays, I think. But it was this very kind of crude, superimposed sort of Jason and the Argonauts like skeleton. It did look just like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I guess you could tell that I think the point was that the whatever the light was, it was permeating them in a way that was unsafe. Yes. And that's kind of what happens is they sort of talk about how they've got, they've got burns on their hands now and they got bad headaches in the back of their heads after this mm-hmm. flashing goes off. Sort and of it, like the Cuban embassy weapon. Oh, yeah. Right? That's right. Headaches, vision problems paranoia oh the cubans have built the fear bomb the chigs have <laughs> are, are the chigs really just a representation of the cubans <laughs> is that what the show's trying to tell me it's a very racist show <laughs> well if you take it to the next level i mean the chigs are basically the bugs from starship troopers yeah and the bugs were essentially communist hmm. in starship troopers That's true. the bugs were communists and the 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 earth was fascist so, you know, that's true. They could Science be fiction. Yeah. It's got everything full of allegories. Yeah. <laughs> the entire 58 retreats back to the transport ship after this kind of happens. Uh, this is kind of where we get into what Jane was talking about earlier is uh, Dampos is now flipping out because her hand is bleeding and she's like terrified of blood and she just won't stop talking about blood. Blood, blood, blood. Like she's constant. like a vampire. <laughs> yeah, she is. That'd blood. be more interesting if she became a vampire. 
Way better episode. Wong is he sees roaches and he starts freaking out and like he tears out all the wires from their comms thing to like get out one of the roaches to kill it. So okay, I have to stop you guys. His name is Wang. Is it Wang? His name is Wang, and I think we need to go back and re-edit the podcast. So you need to each record some Wangs that you can then. You over- said I, I'll be honest. Over. I didn't know what his name was. I, I blame you because his said name it was is Wong. Lieutenant it's Paul been Wang. Seven episodes, <laughs> and you, you guys have been calling him Wong the whole time. Oh, you know what? No well, can, can we just say one thing? I have a running list of corrections of things we've said wrong, <laughs> so we can just add that to our list. All right. Well, we'll try to remember to call him Wang going forward. <laughs> yeah. So many angry fans out there. Yeah. Um, wow, Wang's really. Uh, we really haven't paid much attention to him. Um, Poor guy. All he wants to do is watch football. It's true. He just wants that football. Mm. Anyway, uh, Wang sees a roach and he pulls out all the cords from their communication system, which is just um, kind of disables their ability to their homing device, which they're going to get rescued with because their ship's disabled is now also disabled. But they basically now have a new task is they have to find an uplink prong. Like, it's it's so silly. Like, they're just given, like, another thing to do. It's like, you need an uplink prong to fix the homing beacon you just broke. So now we have to go back outside the ship to go find a dead marine to find this uplink prong to fix the homing device. And it's all talk, and none of it is visual. There's no visual representation of fix. Like, it's just like there's a big machine that has sparks flying out of it, and everything's dark because everything's always dark on the show. And yeah. it was just, just chatty chatty about we need this and we need that. Blood. So they're going to go back out. God, mother. Damp House can't go because she's torn up her suit with a knife trying to get it off of her because of the blood or something. So they rest them go out. Hawks doesn't want to put on his helmet because he's afraid of tight spaces now. That's his big fear. Everyone's getting their one big fear. Yeah. But but it was also, they they never stopped talking about their fears, but they also weren't really clear. Because I was like, that what is his fear? Because he, at one point, wanted her to really turn out the light. What did that have to do with anything? Well, when they're outside, yeah. Hawks flips out because he's afraid their chigs are going to see them with the light, I think. Which wasn't his fear. It was just weird. But as soon as he breaks the lights, Vanson freaks out because she's afraid of the dark. Yeah. Yeah, it, was that her fear? It took me a while her, to figure that's what out I mean. what her fear was. It wasn't, it, weirdly for an episode where that's the point of the episode... And they never stop talking about it. It's actually hard to tell what their actual fears are. Well, it's funny because um, she gets afraid of the dark. And at some point she sort of says, I'm afraid of it because it was dark when my parents were killed. Like it's a really tenuous connection. Yeah. And maybe Hawks is afraid of his helmet because it reminds him subconsciously of being in the tank. That's more thought that went to the show. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> they do end up finding an uplink prong. Also, not even on screen. Like They're just like, we found one. And it's at that point that... Wes starts hearing a girl crying, which is a stand-in for his girlfriend, which he's afraid he's lost. So that's his fear. It's not a fear. He's just like, here's his girlfriend crying. He is the worst. And he he runs off leaving them. So now they have the uplink (laughs) prong, but now they have to go get wet. So there's just like another obstacle. And how many times, by the way, we should have kept a tally. How many times do they have to go find Wes in this show? This is at least the third or fourth time. This is definitely the third time for sure. Yeah. He runs off. He either finds or hallucinates a sergeant kind of complaint, like telling them more scary things about the place. And this actually was something I wrote. And maybe you both have a different opinion or can it clarify? I wasn't sure for most of the episode if they were hallucinating things or if those things were actually there that were triggering these responses. Because at times it seemed to be one and at times it seemed to be the other. Like, like I thought actually the cockroaches weren't really there. That's what they were going to show. Or the blood really wasn't on her hand. But then it was like, oh no, it is there. But then they're also hallucinating noises and seeing things. So it was like, I was like, just 
pick one or the other. I thought they were hallucinating too. I thought the cockroaches were a hallucination, and I thought but they weren't. But they weren't, and I thought the blood was. Yeah, I because I kept I saying like, like why didn't they just consistent. clean up the blood? So they knocked this blood over at one point, and then they just left it. Like just yeah. clean up the blood, and it solves all the problem with her. Well, but then she's at fine. one point, she said, she Wang said it wouldn't says, solve it. "Yeah, Wang oh, wouldn't says, solve it. What, why don't we clean it up?" Although it's very, very late in the whole story for someone to be suggesting. I mean, it's a safety hazard to have the blood on the ground. Like they should just be cleaning it up anyway. <laughs> it is a safety. I mean, hazard. they're Marines. They're not just going to leave liquid on the ground when they're running around in the dark, and someone could slip and hurt themselves. It's true. It's, it's a valid fear. It's she a has. biohazard. Yeah. So yeah, this sergeant, I don't know. I couldn't tell if he was real or not. He might have been real. He might have been a hallucination. It was n- no one else sees him, so it's impossible to say. The rest of the 58th catches up with West. They find a bunker full of dead Marines who have all killed each other. From that, they start kind of deducing that the flashes they've been seeing are some sort of new Chig weapon, like a fear bomb or some sort of electronic nerve gas they posit that like affects the amygdala of the brain, which is at the back of the head, which is where they're getting the headaches. Which I guess is also where fears are held. Yeah, sure. Sure, why not? Why not? That's not one of the biggest problems of the episode, so. I will say, I went, uh, there's one one note I made here is uh, they're talking about this electronic nerve gas that causes fear. And I believe Vanson says, uh, imagine if they use it on New York or L.A. And uh, Wang takes that moment to practice his hacky stand-up comedy routine when he says, you might not be able to tell the difference. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, "Whoa, well, yeah. that's some bad, that's some bad comedy you got yeah. there." Wang. Well, his timing may not be there. <laughs> anyway, from this bunker, they once again retreat back to the ship because now they have the uplink prong and west. Vanson steps on a buzz beam mine, so they have to use mirrors to like reflect the mine so she can get off of it. Yeah, easy solution for this weapon. I, I mean, it's <laughs> an easy way to defuse it. I. It would have been better if that idea was used in a different episode where it was a little more interesting, but it was just like, everyone was just screaming at each other at that point. And didn't you think at some point, aren't you glad that uh, Thomas Hobbes wasn't there trying to defuse it? I was thinking about Thomas Hobbes, our good friend and his mind problems. That's, that's harsh The harsh realm, realm guy? Yeah, yeah, that's harsh realm. Um, anyway, they make it back to the airlock. Uh, they get back inside, sort of. They have to like hotwire it because damp house won't come into the room because there's blood everywhere blah 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 they end up just screaming at each other for a while with guns pointed at each other they're just like they're just it doesn't even make sense they're afraid of very specific things but now they're also just angry at each other too yeah, it's, it's they're trying to ratchet up the tension but they haven't earned it at all so it just ends up people yelling at each other no but they kept yelling and this is like a part where i thought like because Glenn Morgan and James Wong weren't the key, the main writers on this episode. It was another writer. But I, this is where I thought that maybe they had come in and tried to, like, make some changes to the episode. Because they kept yelling, this is not us. This is not us. When right, they were right. firing at each other. Which So a little bit of a backstory, is, which you guys are probably aware of, is there's a very famous X-Files episode from the first season called Ice. Which was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, which is basically just a—it's just the thing. Mulder and Scully go to an Arctic research yeah, station. Uh, good episode. It's a great episode, and they find there's something in the ice that is infecting people and making them behave strangely and turn on turn on each other. And like, there's a dog in it that goes at the beginning. It's just—it's just like the thing. But one of the key lines from that episode, which is much better done than this episode, is that they keep saying, "We are not who we are." Or we may not be who we are, or you may not be who you are, and that the idea that your mind has been changed and that you've been taken over by this strange animal. Uh. And so every time they kept yelling, this is not us, this is not us, I'm like, oh, this is, we are not who we are. Like, this is, this is Glenn Morgan and James Wong trying to, like, fix this episode. Th- th- and that that into is a good example, though, ice. because for the most part, that is the exact same 
at least plot structure of this episode, except in the X-Files it was done really well, and in this one it was done really poorly. I'm realizing also now that we've said it a few times, I think I thought Wang was called Wong because I thought James Wong had named it after himself. <laughs> himself. I actually do think that's what I thought when I started the show. Hmm. Oh, well, I was wrong. Yeah. You were, were, did, you, did you say you were Wong? Uh, no, I certainly said. did not. <laughs> I wanted it for the record. Not say that. <laughs> anyway, they yell at each other, but they like are basically able to barely work together to fix the homing beacon. As soon as it's fixed, McQueen has landed already. Amazing. And they're like, oh, we can't get to you. You just have to walk through a minefield to get to us. They have a scene where they kind of sing an old Marine song. Yeah. To, I guess I, to keep their heads on as they walk through the minefield. Yeah. Which is not a song that we've heard them sing before. No. Although, although it was a song that the guy was singing yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, it's what the crazy, the crazy guy, guy was singing. singing at the start. It's the bookend. Yeah. But it didn't have any emotional resonance because no. they we hadn't heard them singing it before. No, it, it has no. And, and they just get rescued. And then we kind of cut back to, as we mentioned, their was the interviews with them where they might get in trouble but it's basically waved off and they're all off the hook because mcqueen and commodore ross accept there's some new chig weapon and hawk basically sums up the entire episode with this last line where he he might as well be looking at the camera and he says the enemy was down there but it wasn't the chigs it was fear jordan get it yeah yeah get it? yeah i don't know if you get it <laughs> yeah well this episode didn't hit us over the head enough times with it yeah, it was a very, it was a real deep way of them, like, closing out this episode. It was, yeah, it was not their finest moment this episode. You no. know, I think it probably seemed like a good idea. Everyone needs a bottle episode from time to time, and they, I think that's probably kind of what they had hoped this would be. Um, and generally, they can, bottle episodes can be done quite well and can be really, really fun because the producers like them because they're cheap and the writers like them because they get to you know play with the character dynamics and actors like them because they get to find do interesting things with their character and it's not all about exposition and plot and a lot of the stuff that they have to say is important so i feel like this concept was probably thrown around in the writer's room as being like yeah this is a great idea we'll you know we'll get them together in one place we'll do a thing episode or we'll do a paranoia episode and we'll cement all these character moments and then just nobody checked to make sure it was good yeah. Like they just then they just wrote it and filmed it without actually sort of auditing it and being like, is this episode actually accomplishing the things that we need it to accomplish? I think that's uh, better. Anything better than I can say. Better. Because it doesn't have really any any like over the court as a season wide story arc. It doesn't have any clear consequences. So the head writers are maybe not sitting there checking it to make sure that it checks all the boxes because it doesn't really have any boxes to check. Plot wise. So, do we think we're gonna see? Uh, we're gonna find out if that guy was uh, Mirage or not. Uh, I assume that'll that'll come back the next time West has to leave and go look for his girlfriend. <laughs> I was actually disappointed uh, when the fifty eighth goes down. They didn't bring their new members, uh, Lieutenant Pizak and Lieutenant Stone. Yeah, they're, they're not, not still, still there. Members are they? I no. assume they'll be back. No. All right. Uh, so let's let's wrap this up. Let's get into some ratings, Jane. Do you want to get some final thoughts and give us a rating for the first episode, Eyes? For Eyes, yeah, I I really liked Eyes. I mean, I, I think I liked it more than Jordan did. I definitely thought it was it was interesting. I thought it was a, sort of a political thriller type of episode, which I really enjoyed. And it took a lot of unexpected twists and turns. And the performances I thought were quite good for the for the show. Um, so I I, I gave it an eight and a half. Holy moly! Yeah, I thought it was one of one of the better episodes so far mm. of the series. I'll, I'll go next. Um, I. 
agree. I actually was going to give it a nine when I finished watching it. Looking back, not everything held up quite as well, but it's still an 8.5 for me. You're both insane. <laughs> insane. What Six, is it? 6.5. Oh come on! No, I thought I thought the episode was kind of a mess. This this I thought they I thought they were do, trying to do a lot of stuff and didn't quite hit it on most of them. That's what I thought. There's no Carlita's room. No, it's not. That wasn't the episode. <laughs> Had a beautiful ending. Hey, six and a half. Nah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's move on to Enemy. Uh, Jane, you want to give us uh, Enemy? Enemy. Well, I think we've been over a lot of the issues that I had with this episode. I gave it a six, which I I think is a little generous. But I, I still wanted to be cognizant of the time and the, the tropes of the genre and all of that kind of stuff. So um, I thought it was a, a v- average to slightly below average version of a lot of common sci-fi stories. Jordan? Five. They, were, they wouldn't stop yelling. I tuned out because I, I just hate characters yelling about nothing. I was bored. Five. Uh, I'm giving it a three. Whoa! Oh, I love when Loke goes real low. It wasn't good. Brutal. It wasn't a good episode. No, it wasn't. It was right? a very bad episode. Yeah, it was. It might. I think I had to check this. I think it was my least favorite episode. It, in a show that I know can do better. Yeah, I, I've seen them do better. I watched the last episode and watched them do better. Yeah, I was just. I. I. I it was hard for me to forgive. All right. I guess that about wraps it up. Before we go, Jane, uh, I understand you're a motion picture editor. I know that because we're friends. I am a motion picture editor. Thank you, Luke. Is there uh, anything you'd like to plug? Anything you worked on lately you think our audience might enjoy? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I work on a lot of indie stuff that's often hard to find, but I did a movie a couple years ago that's a sci-fi movie. So if people are enjoying our sci-fi podcast, they might enjoy this sci-fi movie called Rememory. I uh, we went to Sundance in 2017. It stars Peter Dinklage and Julia Ormond. And it's a little bit of a sci-fi drama with some mystery in it. And uh, it's available now on streaming. It's it's on Amazon Prime in the US. It's on Vudu and Hulu and like whatever, all of the different uh, services. Google Play. Yeah, check, check it out, it people. Out. Check it out. That was uh, a very, very shameless plug. That was good. We need a shameless plug. I felt like I expected, Luke, I expected you to kind of ease into ease that into in it. like a little more of a naturalistic kind of way. It was just like, no, just, just it was say good. your thing. Go it was say good. your This thing. has really helped my memories, these episodes. Sort yeah. of like some sort of rememory. <laughs> what do you think, Jordan. Jane? It's awesome. Great. <laughs> Jordan, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, no, nope, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us, everybody, especially you, Jane. Thanks for having me. I had a really good time. I, I'm really enjoying watching the show, so I love being on your podcast. Well, I hope you'll keep following along as we go through the rest of uh, Space Mode Beyond. Absolutely. And if anyone at home wants to weigh in on how we didn't know one of the main characters' names, <laughs> uh, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at continuumdrag. Until next time, Jordan, I'll uh, keep watching, I don't know, whatever we're watching, I guess. Yeah, oh, man, I'm like so bad the, at these. The next 300 episodes of the show. <sighs> All right. One day I'll get one of these sign-offs right. See you later, Jordan. See you later. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.